Medigence, enabling better healthcare decisions. Hi everyone, I have Dr. Ravi Nayak of the NMC Healthcare Group with me. He is an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in sports medicine, joint replacement and keyhole or arthroscopic surgery. He is also a member of the Medical Academy of Orthopedic Surgeon and he's based at the UA. Thank you Dr. Ravi for joining us in and taking our time to you know, discuss some of the questions that people usually have orthopedic surgeries. Thank you, Gunil. So we'll start off with uh, one of the most basic questions that people usually have about orthopedic surgery that how, how progressively has it evolved in the last 10 years? Say, uh, what changes have been there, the quality of the implants, the make, the brand, and you know, the success rate of the orthopedic surgery, specifically when it comes to joint replacement, like hip replacement and knee replacement surgeries. Uh, for joint replacement surgeries uh, like knee replacement and hip replacement, we have seen a lot of advancement over the last uh, 10 to 15 years, especially with regards to the quality of polythene that we use, uh, the, with respect to the metals that we use. We also use much better techniques now. Earlier, we used to make the patients walk after two or three days. Nowadays, with the help of good anesthetic techniques, good local anesthesia, and better implants, we can make the patient walk the same day in the evening after surgery. The implants are also more patient friendly. We have implants which can fit to the size of the patient, of the, of the patient's bones. Uh, this helps in much better recovery. This helps in much better rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of the surgeries that we do nowadays have smaller incisions as compared to what we were using before. So I would definitely say that it has undergone a vast amount of change over the last few years. Okay, and is it is it you know when it comes to keyhole surgery or you know robotic surgeries nowadays very popular when it comes to orthopedic surgeries? Is it always almost considered more successful as compared to open surgery, or or the success rate remains the same? It is just you know it just enables faster recovery and it's more beneficial for the patient. What should be the comparison between uh, you know uh, the open surgery traditional way, uh, which is done in a very traditional way, and arthroscopic or maybe a robotic surgery? So robotic surgery is used more for hip replacement or knee replacement whereas arthroscopies are mostly used for ligament surgeries now the we customize the treatment for every patient robotic surgeries or computer navigated surgeries are used for those patients who have very severe deformities outside of the knees like somebody who has a bow in the thighs who has a bow in the legs and in additionally they have in addition they have knee arthritis for those cases, robotic surgery or computer navigation surgery works out fantastic. For those who have just a knee arthritis, for them an open surgery works equally well. We still have to go a long way with robotic surgery before we can definitely say that there is a, a, a definite advantage to using robotic surgery in cases of regular arthritis. As for keyhole surgery, which is arthroscopic surgery, uh, it is especially useful for those who have an ACL or an anterior cruciate ligament tear or a posterior cruciate ligament tear. It also helps to treat 
early stages of arthritis so we have to see at what stage of arthritis the patient is in and accordingly we offer him arthroscopic or keyhole surgery or uh, an open surgery versus a robotic surgery so it is something called as a customized treatment that we give to patients depending on their pain the deformity in the legs and their future needs okay so uh, talking about acl surgery suppose there is a patient who has uh, say complete tear of the acl and uh, partial tear of the meniscus so uh, does it become uh, does surgery become the only possible option for such patients or should they try out you know physical rehabilitation for 6 months and then if there is no relief they should opt for surgical management or surgery is almost always the uh, the only solution available to them the acl or the anterior cruciate ligament is a structure inside the joint we call it as intraarticular now the intraarticular structures they usually do not heal because there is no clot formation this happens because normally inside the knee joint there is around 10 to 15 ml of joint fluid which acts as a lubricant and this fluid does not allow clot formation like for example if we have a cut on the skin we get a clot first and over that a normal skin grows over however in the knee because of this lubricant there is no clot formation so the anterior cruciate ligament almost never heals heals however not everybody needs surgery surgery depends on what are their expectations like whether they want to have an active lifestyle or whether they have a sedentary lifestyle for those who want to uh, have an active lifestyle a lifestyle like somebody who wants to play sports on a regular basis uh, play football or some contact sports or even cricket they may need to undergo surgery but in all cases what we do is we give a course of rehabilitation for around 3 to 4 weeks this helps reduce the inflammation inside the knee joint it allows the knee joint to settle down so that we know where it is going those who get instability even after a good session of rehabilitation like for 3 or 4 weeks of rehabilitation of physiotherapy if the knee still feels unstable uh, usually it is called as a giveaway when somebody is going down stairs or getting up from a sitting position if the knee still feels unstable then in those cases we recommend that they go in for a reconstruction of the anterior cruciate ligament okay for those who have a meniscus tear again it depends on whether they have any mechanical symptoms mechanical symptoms involve locking of the joint for those who have a big meniscus tear uh, they sometimes develop locking of the knee gets locked in one particular position those are the patients who require surgery otherwise most patients can be very well treated with a good rehabilitation with good physiotherapy and some activity modification okay Okay, and suppose uh, uh, there is a uh, there is a professional football player who has ACL injury and he undergoes the surgery for ACL repair. What is the recovery like? You know, in the following six months after the surgery, how soon can he or she, you know, uh, go back to their normal sports and start playing again? So after after an anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction surgery. we mobilize them from the second day onwards after the surgery we make them walk 
stand up and walk with the help of a walker the walker is used for the first two weeks during these two weeks we start off some exercises to strengthen the hamstrings and the quadriceps muscles to stretch out the hamstrings and gradually after two to six weeks we take them off the walker and start doing some other exercises to strengthen the hip and the knee muscles usually in those who are those who are football players they can go back to playing sports uh, regular football after around 9 months that is what we usually recommend they can start doing some regular activities like cycling and swimming after around 6 weeks to 3 months from the surgery they can start doing some running activities uh, around 3 months to 6 months and they can start training after around 6 months but they can they should not play a game until we uh, until they feel that the operated knee uh, is as good as the non operated knee so that is usually a timeline it depends from person to person but varies anywhere from 6 months to 12 months usually it is around 9 months okay okay and uh, coming back to hip replacement again we uh, receive a lot of requests for um, um hip resurfacing surgery uh, which is unfortunately not done in majority of the countries uh, and the response that we receive is that it's not very successful but there are patients who you know particularly ask for hip replacement surgery because they are not very comfortable with hip uh, replacement and uh, so that's the reason they ask for resurfacing so uh, why this you know uh, uh, why is it not considered as successful is there any issue related to the implants or does it not work over a over a period of few years what is the actual reason why hip resurfacing is not recommended and hip uh, replacement is offered as a solution to patients so for that we have to understand what are the indications for using a hip resurfacing versus what are the indications for using a hip replacement procedure so hip resurfacing was very popular when it was introduced it involved changing only the worn off surfaces of the hip joint towards the cup side now in the hip there is a cup and there is a ball it is called a ball and socket joint so the hip resurfacing involved preserving as much as the bone as possible and changing only the surface of the femoral head that is the ball and the acetabulum which is the socket what happened was it was uh, accepted very widely initially but over a period of time it was found that the rate of complications was higher it was not that the procedure was not good it was a good it was a revolution in uh, hip surgery but a number of complications were found especially in ladies ladies of child bearing age which is from 18 to 45 uh, uh, 45 to 50 years of age so these ladies had a particularly high incidence of cobalt ions in their blood the gents also uh, the uh, men also had this but it did not affect their procreation in ladies especially uh it uh, was found uh, it was suspected that it can affect their fertility also there are other complications associated with uh, hip resurfacing uh, such as alval syndrome where it eats into the ions eat into the surrounding muscles and the muscles and surrounding bones become progressively weaker so hence it was decided 
to take back the implant so that, that is why you will find not a lot of uh, hip surgeons offering hip resurfacing today because the long term prognosis is not good in a majority of cases it can be offered in very few patients uh, those who are males those who are uh, men and who have very specific indications who have good bone quality and uh, in the femoral head and it's just the surface which is worn off in only those cases if we use it uh, again it gives very good results but there's always a chance that the cobalt ions in the body can go higher uh, that is always a chance so that is why we do not offer that uh, procedure to most patients a hip replacement does not have this uh, problem it does not have a now the hip replacement that was done around 33 years ago it has shown a 67% survival so 100 uh, so 33 years ago if 100 people were operated almost 67% are uh, 67 are doing very well today so hence hip replacement is a time tested procedure especially a metal on polythene uh, component is a time tested procedure and hence we do not uh, find it difficult to offer it to patients especially since it's going to last for such a long time and with changes in the metal alloy composition with changes in polythene nowadays we have highly crosslink polythene which does not wear off as much as the earlier polythene so in hips especially highly crosslink polythene has a very good role so uh, we are more confident to offer a hip replacement to those who uh, who need it especially with hip arthritis or avascular necrosis or any post traumatic arthritis and since you mentioned about avascular necrosis is it uh, does it does it always start from the hip joint or is it the most uh, you know uh, the most commonly affected joint or is it possible for people to actually uh, suffer from avascular necrosis starting from another joint in the body avascular necrosis is common in those joints which have poor blood supply now there are only two or three joints which have very poor uh, blood supply the most common is obviously the hip uh, it is not like that it spreads from one place to another it usually occurs in those areas where there has been an, an uh, some kind of injury an injury has occurred in that area so the most common place is the hip the second most common place is in the wrist which is called as the scaphoid bone and the third bone which is affected most commonly uh, is the talus bone which is in the ankle so these three areas are affected by avascular necrosis but it does not spread from one joint to the other if it happens because of an ankle injury it will happen only in the talus bone if it happens because of a wrist uh, injury then it will happen in the scaphoid bone so not it does not mean that every uh, wrist injury or every ankle injury will give rise to avascular necrosis there are very few patients especially who develop uh, fractures of these bones who may develop avascular necrosis the hip is especially uh, a site of uh, avascular necrosis why because it is a very big joint and it bears a lot of pressure of the body so it degenerates very rapidly uh, that is why you find more cases of hip avascular necrosis also there are some developmental or congenital changes in the hip which can give rise to avascular necrosis so that is why we see it more of uh, more of it in the hip but it does not uh, shift from one joint to another okay 
Um, okay, so we also receive a lot of requests from patients in uh, for uh, from patients uh, specifically from African subcontinent uh, for osteomyelitis. So I just want to know how treatable it is. What are some of the warning signs of osteomyelitis, and up to what extent can actually it be treated? Osteomyelitis, in simple terms, means infection of bones. Right. Osteomyelitis can be either acute. Acute means happening over a period of maybe a week or maximum up to two or three weeks. And chronic. Chronic means it has been long standing. It has been there since a very long time. So acute osteomyelitis happens more commonly in young children, those who have not completed their growth. So you can say somewhere below 16 to 18 years of age. And uh, it is just like any other infection and it spreads very rapidly and hence it needs to be detected early. Uh, the signs of acute osteomyelitis are there is swelling around the joints, especially around the knee or uh, especially around the knee. The knee is most commonly involved with children and there is uh, swelling, uh, there is fever, there is increase uh, in uh, thigh girth, the thighs suddenly start becoming uh, uh, more thicker and uh, there is painful movements so these are and there is definitely signs of infection like uh, nausea vomiting fever so acute osteomyelitis needs to be treated uh, as early as possible now chronic osteomyelitis happens because of some previous procedure like if there has been a previous surgery or uh, if there has been uh, an implant implant which has been placed inside the bone so then in those cases chronic osteomyelitis can happen uh, because of various reasons maybe because if the patient has some comorbid conditions some other diseases like diabetes or immunocompromised status so in those chances there are uh, those cases there is a chance that there may be infection of the bone leading to chronic osteomyelitis now chronic osteomyelitis extends over a long period of time and uh, there is a sufficient amount of time before it comes to the surface surface so it can manifest just as pain and uh, pain and some uh, activity uh, restriction painful movements it may need x-rays it can be detected by mri but it has to be uh, if it is detected early uh, then treatment can be done only with antibiotics however if the infection comes all the way to the skin and there is a sinus formation then it may need to be treated by surgery by excising the by removing the sinus and by removing the dead bone so different depending on the stage of osteomyelitis the treatment varies also it varies whether it is in the lower limbs whether it is in the arms because in the lower limbs then we can offer bone grafting depending on whether there is bone loss we offer bone grafting we offer bone transport so there are different options depending on the different levels of osteomyelitis right, right. and uh, uh, what about children who are you know uh, born with uh, bow legs or lung disease how possible it is to treat them can they be treated perfectly and uh, with good success rates so those who those children who have bow legs now usually bow legs is common during the early years of life maybe less than seven years of age initially they have the knees pointing outwards then sometimes they have the knees pointing inwards uh, which is called uh, varus and valgus so there are different stages of uh, the development 
uh, and at, at different stages you can see different kinds of bolics but if the bolic persists after 7 years of age then something needs to be done about it for those who have lounge disease what we can offer is depending on whether their height is completed or not completed if the height is not completed there is a simple procedure called as hemi epiphysiotesis where we put pins on the outer side now what happens in uh, blount's disease is that the growing end in the growing end of the bone especially around the knee uh, there is a bone called as the tibia the inner side of the bone grows slower than the outer side of the bone so that is why the outer side grows much faster and there is gradually bowing of the legs with the knees facing outwards so what we do in this case if the child presents to us at uh, at an uh, uh, at the right time like around 9 to uh, around 9 to before 12 years 9 to 12 years is a good uh, time to do a kind of surgery called as knee epiphysiotesis then we reduce the growth of the uh, bone on the outer side so the inner side gets uh, the inner side of the bone gets adequate time to catch up with the outer side and gradually the leg straightens out but this is best done before 12 years of age uh, when the growth spurt because there are different levels of growth spurts uh, the child starts growing somewhere the first growth spurt is around 9 years the second growth spurt is around 12 years so we use the body's natural growth to correct the deformity however if the if the deformity has been persistent since a long time and the growth is completed like somebody who comes to us at around 16 to 18 years of age then with the treatment changes we offer a different surgery called as osteotomy where we need to cut the bone correct the deformity and then fix it back either with plates and by putting some or with some bone graft so depending on the age of the child we offer different treatments but yes definitely it can be corrected uh, we need to monitor the child regularly as he grows as he or she grows and uh, we need to take out the pins at just the right time to see that it does not over correct okay and um, um i think this would be more relevant to the question that i just asked what about external fixators um, how popular are they and how successful are they are they being used to correct uh, only you know uh, only unequal leg length or for bow legs as well or uh, uh, for any other purpose are they basically successful external fixator because the process is quite long and there has been an increase in demand as well for from from patients asking specifically for this procedure so external fixation is used as we discussed earlier for osteomyelitis so uh, external fixation can be used uh, uh, for the different kinds of external fixator there are rail fixators there is a lizaro fixator so there are different kinds depending on what we are offering to the patient whether we are offering limb length we are whether we are taking care of any bone defects of any bone transport is called as bone transport so depending on the pathology external fixator is usually offered for those who want limb lengthening uh, for those who have bone defects and for temporary management of wounds it, it is not a definitive management for uh, most cases a temporary management but in those who want bone transport limb lengthening it is a definitive management i do agree that it takes a very long time 
uh, to achieve the required results and it requires a lot of patience both from the doctor and from the patient and it requires a lot of maintenance like the patient needs to clean the pins regularly so that they don't get infected uh, but it is a good option for many cases uh, however we now have different options like nail inside nail technique uh, where uh, some bone transport can be done over a nail instead of just the external fixator so depending on what pathology what is the age of the patient what is the how patient the patients is uh, what what uh, what are the patients levels so depending on that we can offer the treatment according okay and uh, what are what about sports injuries uh, from your perspective what are some of the most common sports injuries for which you see uh, patients from around the world so sports injuries most the most common sports injuries that we see are uh, acl injuries uh, we also see those who have collateral ligament injuries like the lcl or the mcl or even the medial patellofemoral ligament it is called as the mpfl ligament and uh, uh, meniscus injuries so these are very common sports injuries in the knees uh, that we see we also see local patients who have ankle injuries they have ankle ligament injuries ankle fractures uh, and uh, most of the sports persons we give them a good uh, rehabilitation uh, initially uh, so that they are optimized for surgery and uh, depending on whether they want to continue with the sport we then offer them the surg- uh, surgery which is best for them I'll just wrap up with, uh, this session with the last question. What are some of the tips that you would give our audience to maintain uh, bone health? The best uh, time to develop bone health, we may not realize it, but the best time to develop bone health is in our teenage. So most people develop maximal bone mass by around 25 years of age. That is the time. till when the body keeps depositing calcium in the bones and you can actually develop bone mass very well after 25 it plateaus till around 45 to 50 years of age and especially in ladies after menopause the bone mass goes down by almost 2 to 3% every year so at the end of 10 years they lose around uh, 30% of their body weight of uh, calcium of uh, bone uh, why this is important is because if at around 25 years of age normally in a 60 kilo person a person who weighs 60 kilos the calcium in the body is around 5 kilos the calcium in the bones so if you have 5 kilos to start off with at 25 years of age by 50 55 you will be left with around you know 3 or 4 kilos so that is a good number which can be maintained so you need to start building up bone mass in the early years of life however if you have not done that earlier it would be better to start off at any age you need to have lots of calcium rich foods uh, especially like dairy foods milk yogurt low fat cheese now we have low fat options in all the dairy products so people can go in for those for those who do not like dairy like you have somebody with lactose intolerance we have different foods like uh, broccoli bananas we have figs figs or anjeet which has lots of calcium uh, there are different food uh, foods uh, for those non vegetarians there are egg whites you have sea fish like sardines and salmon which contain lots of calcium 
so the food should be adequate uh, the diet should be adequate in calcium the daily requirement for somebody who's from 19 to 50 years of age is around 1000 mg of calcium daily in the diet in addition you need to have adequate amounts of vitamin d so vitamin d we usually get from exposure to sunlight daily uh, between around 10 o'clock to 3 o'clock for around half an hour and uh, that uh, exposure for 3 days in a week generates vitamin d for that whole week and uh, there are very few vegetarian products which contain vitamin d uh, non vegetarian products uh, a lot of uh, non vegetarian food contains vitamin d like egg yolk and milk also contains vitamin d so maintaining proper calcium maintaining proper vitamin d uh, and doing regular exercise so nowadays what we see is many people have a sedentary lifestyle once they start working they are active till they are around in school or college but after college once they join work everybody becomes sedentary uh, it's the the most they can do is uh, the most the most stressful thing in their life is going to work and coming back that is the only exercise in their life so what i would suggest is people can make minor modifications if you don't have any kind of knee pain or ankle pain or hip pain then you can use stairs maybe uh, instead of the lift but do not climb more than 3 flights of stairs uh, some people we see climbing more than 8 to 10 flights of stairs that will be more detrimental that will be more harmful so climbing just uh, you know up to 2 or 3 flights of stairs is good enough instead of taking the lift then you can walk short distances for around 15 to 20 minutes instead of uh, taking a bus you can walk a short distance and uh, by making mod- minor modifications in your regular uh, routine uh, it would be good to maintain proper bone uh, mass that is the time that the calcium will get deposited in the bones especially if you exercise so if you can include some minor exercise routines as part of your daily activities uh, lift some uh, low weights then it will be very good for the bones and for the joints okay thank you so much it was very useful and uh, hopefully we'll be collaborating again with you with a few more questions regarding um, orthopedic surgery and some of the issues related to bone health uh, thank you for taking up time and sharing your thoughts on the questions that we directly had from people um, who shared their queries with us thank you thank you very much thank you so much yeah good evening